Hey, turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. Maybe your Bible already turns there automatically. Um, we've been there a little while. Uh, you know, I, I, I've thought about this uh, with respect to this particular passage, as it is that I said to you that in John really 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, these are what are considered the farewell uh, address of Jesus to his disciples. And some have suggested that there's as much teaching in these few chapters, in some sense, about the Holy Spirit, about uh, our life, about what it means to be in Christ, than maybe in the entire New Testament. So it's pretty dense uh, in terms of thick. Uh, there are lots of material here. And as I'm looking at this, we're going to start today at verse 25. You can look at that. And as I was reading through this one, it said, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. That seems <clears throat> to say the things that previous to that, uh, he's saying, these things, that, that uh, pronoun there refers to those things that preceded. Uh, so these things, so, but in verse 26, it says, but the helper. Now, now, Jesus seems to be bringing some new information here. These things I've said to you while, while speaking to you, but it looks like to me that what Jesus may be doing in this conversation is this, what I'm leaving with you. What I'm leaving with you. This, I've said to these, while I was with you, but now I'm going to speak to you or explain to you some matters about uh, now that uh, I'm going to be leaving. Our, v our VBS prayer. Here we go. Yes. That, we've got the, the sheets on the table. Great. Okay. Um, original Chex Mix bags, Expo fine whiteboard markers, any colors, and a snack pack of chocolate pudding cups. And if you guys will just start to bring those and put them in a corner of your classroom, then the pink shirts will be by every week starting in May, May 8th, 15th, and 22nd to pick those up. Yes, sir. The big of Chex Mix, big, big sizes. Yeah. So we're going to take the big ones and break them down. The more, the merrier. Yeah. Over 1,400 kids are going to be here this summer. We're so excited and can't believe that it's coming up real fast. Wow. Okay. Okay. And we just so appreciate everything that you guys do to, to help support us and bring the, bring the donations. I'll let you get back to it. Great. Okay. Hey, and I tell you what, they said put it in the corner. Let's put it back here in this right on your left, your your right, my left, this back corner back here. So it'll be picked up. You bring it next week. They'll start, and we'll, uh, we'll get part of that, uh, that, that stuff taken care of. So thank you. Uh, it's always a great time. I mean, goodness, I can't, you remember the things that, uh, you know, we used to uh, learn in vacation Bible school? And uh, we used to sing songs and put together things that our parents hid later. And, uh, you know, we did that. <clears throat> yeah. Now back to this, where Jesus is, is referring to and talking about what he's going to leave with you going to leave with you. You know, uh, back in the 90s, <clears throat> um, Becky's folks, uh, you know, I've talked to them about them before. They, they're, they're really, really good people. Uh, they don't listen to any of my recordings, so I, you know, <laughs> thankfully. <clears throat> uh, but over the years, as they got a little older, uh, as Arlen and Betty began to realize, they, they had a huge farm. Uh, at one point, Arlen was uh, farming right around 3,000 acres of wheat with he and two boys. And, uh, you know, I'm from the city. That doesn't sound like that much. You know, boy, when you get out there in Kansas, that's a lot. 
And uh, so they did that, and they had seven kids, and that wasn't enough, so they adopted another one so they could have eight, uh, so Dale could have somebody to play with. And uh, so they had eight kids, and so eight kids uh, got married, and there were 20 grandchildren now, like that. And they begin to think, you know, one of these days we're going to die and we're going to leave behind uh, this estate. And so <clears throat> I remember when Arlen and Betty went to their lawyer and, and, and uh, went to them and they established what they called an irrevocable trust. They decided we want to leave this uh, stuff. I wrote in my notes here that, you know, it, it's there for Betty uh, as long as she's alive. Uh, but they didn't want it to go to probate court, uh, have to be contested. There are a couple of personalities in the family that would like to contest, and they shall remain nameless. Uh, but their initials are Cliff Sanders. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, might be a little contentious. And, and I know that in the trust, I know in the trust, one of the things that the family has struggled with and, and been concerned about, in, in reality, really concerned about, is what they wanted to do was with all eight children that whatever happened, however they lived their life and whatever they did with their resources, they wanted to be able to leave a quarter of land to every kid. And that really was kind of Arlen's, uh, if you will, great accomplishment in life. He, I mean, that, it was very important to him. And, you know, I, when they said a quarter, I thought, I, I don't know how much a quarter is. And they said, well, it's 160 acres. And I go, okay. And then they told me how much it sold for. And I said, oh, <laughs> Really? Yeah, I'll take that. You know, what's, what's happened in the family is uh, over time, there have been some financial issues like that, and they're really struggling to hold on to leave that to the kids. And, uh, you know, farm families, <clears throat> the, the ground's a big deal. If you've ever grown up around farm people or ever been out with large animals, you know what I'm always afraid of. And, uh, <clears throat> you know... Uh, but it's very important for them to leave that with them. Maybe, maybe in your family you have the same thing where you've got an heirloom or you've got 160 acres somewhere or you've got a, you know, something or other. that you, It's important you know, for you to say, I want to leave this uh, with my kids. I, I want to leave something when I go. And uh, that's, a, that's a remarkable thing, I think, for, for parents. I, I keep having a guy call me about a trust he wants me to set up. And I said, but I don't have any kids. He said, well... You want, you want some? <laughs> I said, not really, not now. <laughs> Too old. But this idea, so I, I want to think about this idea of what Jesus said I'm going to leave behind. And, and we, we've talked about this quickly, but I want to say this, a helper. Look what he says in John 14, 26. These things I've said to you while I've been abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. We talked about a good deal about this last week, at least the helper. I ended on this, and I just, I just want to take a couple of minutes again to, to come back to this to say this idea that Jesus says, I'm going to leave a helper. This word literally means someone who is called alongside of you. Someone who is called along. It comes from the Greek word parakeleo, along and called. I said last week, and I, it, it, it's wonderful to me that Jesus uh, uh, said that I'm going to send you another helper, another one be by your side, that this one is not in front of me saying, come on, come on, come on, catch up, or behind me, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. But where is he? He's beside me. Isn't, isn't that great? I mean, the, the idea is he's alongside me. 
He's alongside you. He, he's walking with you. He's, he's there to be attentive to our needs and our concerns and, and be there. He's not off in some far place. He's alongside us. I want you to get that image in your mind that Jesus said, I'm going to leave, but I'm sending someone here to be with you and literally means to be along beside you. And haven't you all experienced this at some level or in some way that through life, as we're going through life, we sense that presence. We have that one who's right beside us. I've, I know you've had that experience where I've had the experience where that presence had said, Cliff, don't go this way. Don't do this. Or Cliff, turn this way. Or, or as I'm along. And notice what he says. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to teach you. This, this comforter, this one, this helper, this advocate is sometimes translated. He's going to teach you all things. Now, you know, Jesus is, is, is referring here to the fact, I think, that the Holy Spirit is the real teacher. Haven't you had that experience when you've been reading the Bible before and reading the Bible before? And somehow the Spirit of God will take a verse that you've read several times, and all of a sudden, you've actually learned something, right? You ever had that happen? I have that happen often. You know, where I'm reading along, go, you know, I thought I understood that. But the Spirit, he, here, here's the teacher, I, you know, I've been a teacher a long time, and I, and I know this, and I've said this to you before, that as I teach students, I realize I'm not the teacher. I'm the disseminator sometimes of information. I'm the one who can bring them and get them to move. But if there isn't that hearing of that other voice, if they don't hear that other voice as I'm teaching, then it's just words. It's, it's just ideas. And so Jesus said, this is going to be the one who's the real teacher. He'll teach you what you need to know. He'll be there beside you, not in front of you, calling you up, not behind you, pushing you forward, but there to help you and guide you. You might look at 1 John chapter 2 later, 1 John chapter 2, where John says you have an anointing from God that teaches you what you need to know, that teaches you what you need to know. Now that could get real mystical and think, well, you know, I just close my eyes and the Holy Spirit will teach me. Jesus gives another point here though. Look what he says. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, the Holy Spirit takes the words of Jesus to remind us. Now, there is both, if you will, a supernatural dimension here and what I would call a natural dimension. He will teach you that, that the Holy Spirit's supernatural power and life in us to teach us. But what does he use for the content to teach us? What say there? Huh? The what? The words that what? That he told them. See, here's the way it is. Like I, when, I, when we get ready to have a test at the school, you know, <laughs> students are there, you know, they're cramming like that. And I'll pray for them, you know, some. And uh, I, I, I pray this for them. I say, Lord, I pray that this will be a learning experience. <laughs> That they will either learn that what they're doing, they keep doing, or they need to change. <laughs> and that you will remind them of what they've already put into their mind and heart. See, a lot of us want to go through life thinking the Holy Spirit will just tell us something out of the blue. As if he's just going to drop something in us. I know some people that say that. I, it doesn't happen to me. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But the idea that the Holy Spirit takes something that's already in us to remind us what Jesus said. You know, what, what that speaks to is that we need to be knowing the words of Jesus, right? We, we, if we expect the Holy Spirit to teach us, if we expect the Spirit to teach us and guide us, 
It seems to me that we would be putting the words of Jesus in us. Stuart? About the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there is a, a, a deep understanding in Judaism of the Spirit as a, as, as a not resident, coming and going, empowers people. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Joshua and did something and leaves. The idea, though, that the coming of the Spirit is the signal event that the Messiah has come. That when the Spirit of God descends, and their idea would be He would descend into the temple again. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that when that occurs, that that, that is the sign, the signal event that the Holy Spirit. So in rabbinical teaching, there is this understanding that there is the Spirit active in the world, but not in people's lives. It's through the reading of the uh, Torah. It's through uh, the study with rabbis. They have this understanding. Jesus is saying this one who, if you will, was there thinking was going to enter the temple again. He's saying, no, no, this one will enter where? Us. See, that's why we're going to celebrate Pentecost on May the 15th, 2016 again. That where's the temple now? Right here. Right here. So there is that understanding. They would understand that the spirit, is a, the, 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 the spirit of God is present but not resident, not constant. On and off, if you will, in terms of, of that, but no abiding presence yet. So it'd be the, it, it, it's really the signal. Uh, this is why I think that Pentecost, when it happens in Jerusalem, the Jewish people that had not believed in Jesus began to believe. And they said, this is obvious, something's happened here. So yeah, I, I, that's my read on if I'm answering your question. So reminder, the truth here is that the Spirit's role is to remind us of what Jesus said. The early church knew this. And so when they got together, they talked about the words of Jesus. They talked about, here's what he said, uh, 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 th this idea of, of reminding us of what Jesus said. So the key for me is in this understanding of Jesus is leaving this helper behind, th th this helper behind, but he's leaving him behind not to create new insight or new information, but to remind us of what Jesus already said. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So what are we putting in? Are we putting the words of Jesus in us? Are we reading the words of Jesus? Are we un understanding what he said? So it's not new revelation. It might be, here's two words you might want. It, it, it's not new revelation. It may be illumination, where you're illumined as you read something. But it's always going to be that it's going to be bringing us back to the words and the teachings and the truths of Jesus. You know, I, I had an experience like this uh, the other day. Uh, it wasn't exactly the words of Jesus, but yesterday when I was writing this out, it's like the Spirit of God said, this is what I did for you the other day, Cliff. I was in a situation where a person was asking me a question, and a, I felt the tone of it was a little whacked out when they said, Okay, who are the guys that put the Bible together? Right? You heard that? You know, the guys that put the Bible together, you know. Now, I may have been too sensitive, you know. I'd been out in the sun and, you know, I, who knows? Could have been. 
could have been. Been out in the sun a little bit. I'm not used to the outdoors. I'm an air conditioner kind of guy. And, uh, uh, but, but the tone of it was sort of like that human beings have put this thing together and you really can't trust it because a bunch of people got together and took a vote at Nicaea at 325. And, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the run of the mill. And I'm standing there talking to this guy and, and we're, we're just discussing some things. And I mean, the Spirit of God brought to my mind something I had read and studied years before that and I hadn't remembered it in years. In fact, yeah, I'm not kidding you. I'm sitting yesterday while I'm writing this out. I told Becky later in the day, I just stopped and bowed my head. And I said, oh God, the Holy Spirit, thank you, thank you, thank you for reminding me in that moment. And it reminded me of in, uh, uh, because that, that's kind of the, the standard. If you watch ABC News, or you watch any of these other things, they're going to tell you that the Bible got put together by a bunch of guys in 325 of the council. And I said, they took a vote. Constantine decided, okay, I want to iron this thing out. Let's go. Let's get, that's not true. In about 170 from the date, there was found, I mean, later than 170, but it's dated back there because there's some historical uh, data in there. There was a thing, and I always kind of mix it up. I'm, my pronunciation, I'm from East Texas, so if I can just get close, I'm there, okay? Right? Right? Like I say, pitcher, that can be three things. Somebody throws a baseball, something you hang on your wall, something you pour tea out of. It just, it's real context sensitive. But, but this, this thing is called the Moratorian, M-A-U-R-T-I-O-R-A-N, fragment. And it's a part of a letter that is written. Now, the re- it's, it was uh, discovered by an Italian guy, now Moratorian. That's why it's called that. But it's a, it's a writing, it's a fragment that's, that dates back to about 160. So about 170 years before Nicaea. So, okay. And this is a, a letter that's being circulated in the churches. And it is talked about, about the see of Rome or the, the leadership of that. And every book, but... Revelation is listed in that as scripture. All four gospels, Acts, Romans, you just walk through it. So by 170, at the latest, the church had said, we have remembered the writings of Jesus and these are them. 170 years later, they confirm it. 170 years later, they just have a big meeting. You know, by that time, the church had developed where we now have committees. (laughs) how the church fell, (laughs) right? Started having committees. By 170, guys, the church of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus, already knew what the words of Jesus were and already established it by consensus of knowing that the Holy Spirit had reminded them through the apostles' teaching, these are the words of Jesus they report all four gospels. So I, I, I'm just saying that, that this notion that the Holy Spirit hasn't been involved in reminding people and helping them to know the, the scriptures as Jesus gave them in his words with the apostles and others is a farce. So I want to ask you a question this week. This is the, I don't want, this is the ministry of the Spirit, the helper. What if you did this? What if this week you memorized one verse from the teachings of Jesus? Just one. I find in my students, they don't do much scripture memory anymore. I, I don't know if it's because we have the internet or because of Google has become now, you know, I ask a question in class and uh, that, you know, they don't know it. They just know how to Google. 
But you know what? Scripture memory is an old practice for many of us who have taken those words of Jesus and memorized them. When I was nine years old, I remember in Kilgore, Texas, my dad had us memorize a verse a week. And we sat down at the table and we had a little card box. And, you know, we would, we would pull the card out and don't want that one. And, you know, um, <laughs> some are long. But I can still remember Acts 17, 30. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they studied the scriptures to see if those things were so. I remember that at nine years old in Kilgore, Texas. Right? Well, it's just that memorization matter. And so some of the scriptures that Jesus or some of the statements that he made, how many do you know? Have you memorized any? Have you, have you taken any of those verses and put them in your heart? And then that becomes the way for Jesus through the Holy Spirit to remind you. So that would be a good plan, I think. He says here, he'll teach you all things and he'll breathe those things to your remembrance that I said to you. How much of Jesus' teachings do you know? How much, how much of his actual words are hidden in your heart? That you've taken the time and I've taken the time to memorize them, to take that opportunity. Well, I think Jesus is saying here, that's going to be part of the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. I told Becky I was going to do this. She said, Cliff, don't. I, I'm going to. Here we go. No. She didn't really say don't. She goes, you better think this through. So I haven't. Uh, but I'm getting a little nervous that I'm doing so much talking. I want you to look at the people at your table just for a second. I know that may be painful. It may be a little difficult. If somebody, if you want to, you don't have to. Somebody say, here's a verse that I know from the teachings of Jesus that's been helpful to me. You don't have to tell them why. Just, just one, one person or two. I don't care. Hurry up. Hurry up. Come on. Come on. Here's a verse from the teachings of Jesus that have been helpful to me. See, Becky, I told you. Thirty seconds. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Now, you may have heard a verse that you never even heard of before. You may have heard of a verse that you never even heard before from Jesus. Maybe that could be your verse. Or you say, you know what? I don't know any at this point. And somebody said one. I'm going to take that one. But some way that we find that we have God's word, especially Jesus's statements in our lives. You know, a lot of them come to my mind when I'm in a trouble or difficult time or when I'm seeking direction. So I want to ask you to do that this week. Okay, number two, look here. This other thing. What is Jesus left behind here for? Well, a map. No. <laughs> you never knew that, did you? And this isn't from Terry Fakes either. It's my own map. Look at this verse here. I want you to see this. In verse 27, I've got a reason for this uh, uh, slide. I just forgot. Uh, look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. He intensifies it. 
my peace. I, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. I do. do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. When I thought of this, I, 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 I went to the you know, Google. Uh, we used to go to libraries. Now we go to Google. Um, and I got to thinking, when we think of peace, when some people think of the word peace, uh, shalom in Hebrew or irene in Greek, if, you're, if you know somebody named Irene, that, that's her name, is peace. That irene, it, it, the idea of peace, that in a negative context, it means the cessation of conflict. General, uh, often. Sometimes that's how people say it's negative. That's not all it means, but it means that. And, and I thought, this is a map that is somewhat current of all of the wars that are going on right now. There are other maps that are a little more great. This was the easiest one for me. Many of these wars, the, the spots are on the deal, are where at least 10,000 people have died or more, over 10,000. These are the wars. At any given time, there's a suggestion that there are thousands and thousands of wars going on every day. Unbelievable. The UN reports there are 59 million displaced people in the world. 19 million of them are under the direct care of the UN for food and water and sustenance. 19 million people, about the size of the city of Mexico City. The world, as you know, is on fire. Peace, peace. You know, the Old Testament says they will say peace, peace, but there is no peace. And I don't think that Christians can fail to recognize that we live in a world that desperately seeks and sometimes doesn't know how to find it. And, and, and when we think of peace, it's not just the cessation of conflict. I thought of, you know, back in 1991 on March the 4th, the Iraqi army, what was left of it, with Norman Schwarzkopf sat down and had a ceasefire. After that was over, there was peace, but those guys didn't go out and have a Coke later, you know, or spend time. In fact, if you read the report, Schwarzkopf did everything that he could to make these guys know, we beat you. When they came to the place, there were 50 M1 tanks uh, uh, surrounding the table area they were at. Apache helicopters to say, we won. I mean, hey, I, you know, that's okay. But the point is, they weren't friends. Just because you quit having conflict with someone doesn't mean you have peace. Peace, shalom, and irene is much more than the cessation of conflict or simply the stopping, if you will, of, of this uh, uh, conflict. It really means this, well-being in every area of life. Well-being in every area of life. You know, a psychologist tell us that this idea of well-being, there are three basic needs that every human being has. Three basic. Now, you know, if you remember Maslow, uh, the pyramid, you know, all this uh, stuff and the hierarchy of needs. They kind of boil that down and say, here are the three they are. The, the three are these. Safety. You got you to feel safe. Belonging. Uh, Becky was reading me a report the other day that talked about how that people that have nurturing relationships and particularly religious people in churches live longer. An average of three to four years longer than people that get isolated. Belonging. Safety, belonging, 
And I like the way this, uh, the author made this. He said like this, mattering. In other words, significant. Something I do matters. And I remember the, the old song. I, I always get Judy Collins and somebody else. Dave, Dave, Dave Fack can help me here. But the song, is that all there is? I went to the circus and saw the clowns. and Patty Page? Wow, I was way off. <laughs> is that all there is? Is that all there is, my friend? Then let's keep dancing. Break out the booze. Didn't think you'd hear that at church, did you? <laughs> you know, last couple of weeks you've heard Stephen Stills love the one you're with. <laughs> I'm a rock and roll encyclopedia. <laughs> hey, man, people are asking that. Is that, is that all there is? Mattering. I mean, the idea that my life matters, that I'm just not some greasy spot on the cosmos that was here, that consumed and lived, but it mattered. You know, uh, Beth Thomas uh, told me uh, about a prayer she read from a person that uh, a person had been very ill and was in a terrible disease. It didn't look like things were going to be better. And said that this person said that they had sensed that the thing to do instead of saying, God, make it better. Take my illness away, which we all would want. I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying don't pray that way. God, make it better. This person said, God, make it matter. Amen. Make it matter. That deep, abiding sense that my life mattered. It wasn't just the accumulating of things. It was the development of a life that mattered. You need that. I need that. I need a level of safety. I need a level of belonging. And I, let, I need a level of mattering. Now, I have on your, your hand out there, I've tried to draw some conclusions, those three. Because <clears throat> I think here <clears throat> that the world's peace that it offers, that safety is based on circumstances. It may be all on these. I mean, but, but the world's peace is going to be circumstantially driven. If things are going well and things are good, I'll have peace. It's circumstantial. You know, happiness comes from the word Latin, happenstance. If things happen correctly, I'll be happy. That's why the Bible never uses the word. You know, it, it, it isn't interested in happiness because it's circumstantial or circumstance driven. The peace the world offers says, well, you know, if things are going well and, and things are, are, are happening good, then, then you'll be happy. You'll, you'll, you'll have peace. Remember when I was a pastor uh, some years ago, one Sunday, it was one of those crazy Sundays where everybody came to church, you know? I don't know why, you know? I was still there. And, uh, <laughs> and I mean, the place was packed. And of course, as a pastor, a preacher, that, that don't hurt, you know? It's not bad. And I remember, uh, I mean, I was just, happy and you know I was, boy, I was preaching up a storm and you know and, and and enjoying the thing and I sat back down and I was thinking this is just wonderful and the spirit of God again I don't hear a voice uh, when it is usually Becky but uh, <clears throat> Cliff no <laughs> um, but I got nudged by that voice that I hear on the inside that 
Just said that I'm just I'm sitting right in front of the church, in front, front of God and everybody. Something else is going on. And the Spirit said to me, could you be this happy if there was a third of these people here? I'll get back with you. <laughs> could you be as happy? Could you be as fulfilled and happy if the circumstances were different? Instead of this place packed, let's just put a third of this group in here. Happiness. Second, another thing the world has is status. I have peace if, you know, I got some power and authority. If I've got status. I mean, we all, you know, men particularly, we're hunter-gatherers. We're, you know, we're wanting to try to develop that. I think some of that's okay. You know, Richard Rohr, I don't believe everything Richard Rohr, I know I've recommended a few times, I don't believe everything he says. But he's written a book called Falling Upward. Where he brings this idea about status when he says that for men particularly, and I'm sure with women too, but he says women are much smarter than guys and much more advanced. That's why I don't believe everything. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Rohr says this, that the first half of your life till about the 40s, guys, we're building the container, getting the career going, getting our advancement, getting our status settled. He said that first half of your life is to build the container. The second half is to fill that container up with character, with who you are. You know, a lot, a lot of us have struggled with that at times when we work so hard to achieve or get or accumulate and get our status ramped up. And then we looked at the container and thought, what's in there? I spent all my time building the container. Rohr says, we, we need to. I mean, it's okay to build the container. If you're, if you're younger and you're, you know, you're growing and you're, you're developing, that's okay. But don't forget to fill the contents. Because status can change like that. Third, resources. How much have I got? You know, what, what have I got? Go over to the other side. Jesus, peace. There's security because who loves me? My security, safety, if you will, is not based on circumstances. It's who loves me. If I know I am loved by God, if I know I am valued by God, there is a security here. There is a sense of, 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 of security that I have where I love what Adam Clark said, that God is so wise, he cannot make a mistake, and he is so loving, he cannot harm you. Think of it again. He is so wise, he can't make a mistake with you. And he's so loving, he will not harm you. My, I, my security. Uh, the second thing, Jesus' peace, is my identity. This comes back to love by God, but who are you? Remember, when the devil came at Jesus, you got to go back to Matthew 3 and 4 and look at this. It's, it's very instructive. Jesus is baptized, and what he hears, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As far as we know, Jesus had never done anything up to that point, but lived at home, you know, like a good Jewish boy. <laughs> Hadn't done anything. Hadn't preached, hadn't healed anybody, hadn't done anything. And his father says, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what? Our identity, I've got a whole series. I've been working for six months. I'm thinking through, I want to work on after we get out of here, you know, 
when I retire, <laughs> to work on a series of lessons on who are you in Christ? Who do you really think you are? Who do you know who you are? Okay. So, so when, the, when the devil comes at Jesus after that incredible experience of being baptized, what's the line of attack? If you are the Son of God. You really think that still? You really think you're the Son of God? Then do this. Prove it. See, that's what the world says. Your identity is created by what you can produce. Right? We see a guy that works for the garbage company, and we see a guy that's a multi-million dollar lawyer. Where's the status here, guys? Because in our culture, our world, status is based on what you produce, not who you are. So we got all this pecking order of people. That's what the devil did to Jesus. If you're the son of God, produce something here. The peace that Jesus says, get to produce a thing. You're my son. You're my daughter. And you know what? I... I know that sounds a lot easier said than done. Because a lot of us don't carry that identity with us. I told you some years ago, I, I was working on my uh, doctoral degree and doing a lot of writing. And, uh, you know, I've been writing a sermon, a, a, a letter on love as the motivation for ministry. And I said to Becky, leave me alone. I'm writing a letter on love. <laughs> I did. I did. She kept saying, Cliff, what? Just. Stop it. I've got a train of thought here. I'm writing about love as the motivation for me. Leave me alone. <laughs> and then the helper who's right here said, you won't get another sentence done until you get this fixed. So I'm writing, doing some work. And I had a glass and I just get lazy. I just pick it up like this instead of get my hand around. And I spilled some water on a book. And I was at the house by myself, so I like to hear voices. Uh, I'm an extrovert. I didn't know if you knew that or not. But, uh, and, and I said, you idiot. And the helper said to me, stop that. Are you an idiot? I said, there's something down here broken that would cause that kind of reaction in me. That set me on a journey to begin to say, my identity is not understood as a son. It may be a slave. It may be a worker. It may be an adherent to a particular system, but it isn't a son. A son doesn't say that to himself. You idiot. I'm telling the Lord did some working on me in that little office room that day to say, stop. That is not who you are. I beg the question for all of us, down in our, I love the Greek word splankna, which means guts. What's your identity? You know, guys get together, what do we say? Hey, what do you do for a living? What do you do? We don't ever, who are you? You scare us to death. You've been around some girls or something? <laughs> we don't talk like that around here. We're guys. We hunter-gatherers, right? We don't talk about who are you. What do you mean, who am I? It's a great question. 
that many of us have delayed and put off and stopped with. And so our sense of identity as son or daughter is always being dealt with by what we produce. The third one is our source. See, in the world, it's how many resources you have. In, in Jesus' peace, it's who's your source. Becky is such a person of faith. I'm just telling you. So she is always saying to me when I get worried or shook up about something, and, and she goes, Cliff, remember, God is our source. And I say, oh, would you stop that? I know that. I'm a theologian for crying out loud. But it comes down to daily living, doesn't it? Well, you know, I, I'm old enough like you are, some of y'all. I don't know if Social Security's going to be there. I don't know what's going to be around. I, you know, you just keep looking at things. I've just said, I've got to limit my news intake now. <laughs> you know, I'm watching the Mickey Mouse Club more. <laughs> and Seinfeld. Because it's about nothing anyway. But I, I, you know, we're going to we're we're all in this thing of we want to be responsible. You know, Marty's talked to us about being responsible. The Bible tells you know invest and be responsible and be careful. But it ultimately comes down to one 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 of my professors said this in seminary said all fear is rooted in the thought that God really may not be good. That's pretty stout when he said that. That all fear is rooted in the notion that God really may not be good. We've kind of dressed him up in religious words, but not really that good. So our source, what is it? Is it, is it our resources? Is it our finances? I told you, Dave Plemons and I were talking the other day. This source thing. When Jesus said on the, the sermon on the, or the uh, parable of the sower, he said, you know what choked the word out? Of one of those people. One was it was hard ground. One of these says, one of those people, the, the word got choked out of their life because of the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. And when Dave said that, I said, Dave, I got to write that down. I know it, I've read it, but I got to put it in my daily prayer list to say, God, I can get the word of God choked right out of me. Because I'm looking at the world and its resources and matters for my source. Now, again, that doesn't mean be lazy. Doesn't mean quit your job. It doesn't mean you know go to the casino for your uh, retirement plan. You know. Although sometimes I think the stock market is a casino that's <laughs> rigged. That is not a financial discussion. The thoughts and opinions of teacher, not just thoughts and opinions across community church. It's elders or leadership. But notice here, he said, it's my peace that I'm giving you. My peace. It's not just peace in some generic form. It's my peace. I, I think Jesus was a person who knows, loved by his Father. Jesus, a person whose identity was rock solid. I'm a son. I know who I belong to. See, safety, I'm secure in God's love. Belonging, if you will, I have an identity as a son and the matterness of it that I'm living my life sourced and resourced by God. So here's what I want to ask you to consider. Well, there it is. <laughs> Had the map up there the whole time. That what Jesus leaves behind is a particular piece, a particular piece. 
It's not, it's not just peace. He said, it's my peace that I give to you. Notice there. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Now, I draw some attention here to this particular peace. Because it's not only Jesus gives you his peace. He calls us to something. What? Look at there. Don't let. That's, a, that's, a, that's an imperative verb. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. You've got Jesus' peace. You've got his understanding of his peace. You've got identity. You're loved by God. You have resources. Now you and I have to act. How? Don't let it. Listen, fear is going to come, isn't it? Sickness, problems, difficulties. Then what do we do? We don't let it make us afraid. We don't let it trouble us. Now this is interesting because remember back in 14.1, I'm not going back, promise, but we're going to have hyperventilate here in a second. This is how this whole chapter starts out. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Now, I, want, I, want to, I want to ask you to look at something here. In 27, <clears throat> Jesus says, I'm going to leave this peace with you. I'm going to give you my peace. But I'm going to ask you to do something. You're not going to be indifferent. You're not going to be, if you will, lackadaisical. This is your decision. It's an interesting thing in the New Testament. I'll give you this idea. And somebody oh so kindly brought me some more markers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But I want you to see these words. In Greek, in, in the New Testament, there are, there's this matrix. I can't spell when I get up to a board. There are declarative statements made. Like, I'm going to leave you my peace. Or, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That there's this matrix or this system in the New Testament. If you're careful to watch it, you'll see it. That declarative statements are made. I'm going to leave my peace with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. I give it to you. Okay? That's what it is. That is always followed by an imperative. Always followed by an imperative. This is a cooperation this is a relationship. It isn't that Jesus just says something and isn't that wonderful. Then he says, now Cliff, you act. You act on the declarative. The imperative is rooted in the declarative. When I started understanding this in the Bible, it changed the way I read it. That I realized that every time there's an imperative that God gives me, it's always because there was preceded a declarative statement or promise that he's made. I've given you my peace. It's not like the world gives. Now don't let your heart be troubled. See, it doesn't mean because I have the peace of Jesus that it's automatic. That it's just going to happen. Things are still going to come at us. Things are still going to occur to us. But we have then the choice to say, I have the peace of Jesus. He gave it to me. My status is secure. I'm loved by God. I have the resources I need for life. Therefore, I will not allow this trouble to bother me. Easy? No. <laughs> Commanded? Yes. Yes. I think this is where we get confused. That we don't realize now, I've got a part. Jesus makes the declarative statement, I've given you my peace. Now don't let your heart be troubled. How would that happen? Let me give you a few ideas. Here's a couple things we'll get out of here. We're not going to get to see today. Surprise. Um, how do I not let my heart be troubled? One, 
Remember the promise. This is where, again, the words of Jesus are critical. Remember the promise. The, the, the imperative is rooted in the declarative. If I say, don't let your heart... Why? Because I've got the peace of Jesus. I can, I can be secure. I have a, a, a identity. I have resources that I need. I've got to remember the promise. The, the second way you might do this is not to remember the words of Jesus. You know what? Get with the people of Jesus. <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm amazed at times how that people seem when they get in trouble or difficulty, they start withdrawing. Hey, we like you. We already know you're goofed up, okay? You can come tell us. We know. We'll go, yeah, we knew that. We already knew that. People withdraw. They get away instead of saying, you know, why don't you press in, not only to the words of Jesus, but to the people of Jesus, to say, I've got this going on in my life. Would you pray with me about this? You know, that's one of the reasons we have this prayer list for these people and send it out every week. You know, we're, we're saying, we'll pray with you. We'll walk with you. I talked to a couple of guys the other day. Listen, you've got to be walking with somebody. You've got to have some people that you can share and know and be known. So remember the words of Jesus. Get with the people of Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled, Cliff. Don't let it be afraid. You mean I can do that? I think so. I think one thing that I've discovered in others, and this isn't, you know, maybe all scriptural. I found for me, maybe work for you, that when my heart gets troubled, there are some things I do that help me with that. You know, I'm not, it's not magic. It's just what I do. Is there are some songs I start singing. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is in his excellent word. What more can he say to you than he hath said? To you to who refuge, to Jesus have fled. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. Now, you know what? They're mostly hymns. <laughs> you know what those are? Some of y'all have no idea. I'll tell you that. Yeah. They're in an old book. Yeah. Have notes. They don't repeat 43 times. Uh, ooh, that was ugly. <laughs> that was just ugly. Because I like rock and roll. I wish they'd put a mighty four-charge God to a lead guitar solo. But they, you know, I like rock and roll. There is something where it says in Psalms where it says that God is enthroned upon the praises of His people. God is enthroned on the praises of His people. David said over and over again, I will exalt you and my enemies be put to shame. Maybe you're not a singer, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, but I'm just saying some form of praise. So here's the application. We'll get out of here. What if by the time you go to bed tonight, you pick one of these features of Jesus' peace for you? Which one is it? Is, it, is, is the matter of Jesus' uh, peace for you, is it security? That you say, you know what, this week I'm going I'm to pick the idea that I am loved by God. You know, it says God loved the whole world and I'm part of that. <laughs> is that it? Do you need to pick one to say, you know what, my identity is too identified or established in what I produce. And I've got to get my identity back to who I am. One guy said like that, or whose I am. That my identity's got to get back dialed down to not what I produce and not what I can do, but whose I am. Or is the peace that you need to say in this crazy world and economy 
I'm going to believe that God is my source. Philippians 4, my God will supply all your needs through His riches in glory. That He's my source. I would suggest to you that if these are three needs that every human being has, safety, belonging, and matterness, we can't fail to have the peace of Jesus in our lives. And everything in our world is coming against it. Everything. You know, I'm disturbed at times in my own life. You know, status is a crazy thing that sometimes can get right in the church where people that have more or this or that become more important. Or or the idea of security, that you haven't lived good. I, I said to a friend of mine one time, I said, what would you say to a guy, he's in an AA program, what would you say to a guy that just had a crazy weekend and fell off the wagon and got run over by the wagon? You know, I'm not even making fun of that. I'm just saying, I mean, they went out and got drunk, got crazy and all like that. What would you say to that guy? Because I'm religious, see, I, would, I got all kinds of things I'd say. You know what he said to me? Hi. <laughs> That's deep, huh? <laughs> that we need people to know they're so loved by God that if they twist off, nobody wants that. But in repentance and a broken heart to say you're loved by God. There's a lot of ancillary issues here. Okay, don't don't get hung up that says Clip thinks everything's okay and you can go twist off and go nuts and you're just love. We just love you and it great. It's real academic till it happens to you. But I think that if people don't know in their identity and their belongingness that they can come home, they stay away. Right? So which is it for you? Which one of those? Pick one. And let Jesus give you his peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, when you left these things, the helper to teach us, to remind us, when you left your peace, we're all standing in line saying, I need that. I don't think there's probably any of us who say, I don't need that, I'm okay. Every one of us need a helper. Somebody to teach us and remind us. Every one of us need your peace. And to not let our hearts get troubled in this crazy world we live in. It's scarier than it's ever been. You said, my peace, not as the world give, I give to you. So we're in line today, right here. And we're saying, I'm one. I'm one that needs this. So we confess to you our need for this. We expect that you are as faithful to fulfill your word as we are to admit our need. We're not more faithful than you are. When we admit it, when we recognize our need, you're faithful to meet it. So we pray that you'll help us with these applications and with this word this week. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen.